Hi, I'm Audra. And I'm Sadie. And we are former English lit majors and sisters who miss reading and discussing literature with fellow lit nerds. And we created this podcast to discuss literature fueled by libations. So pick your poison and join us each week to discuss all the queries and views unearthed in great books. And support your local bookstore. Welcome, everybody, to Lit and Libations. Hi, Sadie. Hi, Audra. So we are going to be discussing chapters 7 through 12 of Salman Rushdie's The Ground Beneath Her Feet. So if you haven't already, go back and listen to our last episode. We discussed chapters 1 through 6. And hopefully you've had a chance to listen to that and read the book. If not, go get caught up and then listen, because <laughs> there's a lot to unpack in this novel, which is why we part of why we split it up into three different sections. So um, that's what we're going to be going over this episode. And then we'll be finishing the book in our next episode. So you've got lots of time to get caught up. Um, but before we get into that, we do have our pick for the next yes. book we'll be reading. So Sadie, if you want to break that down. Yes. So the next pick that we're going to do is Liberation Day by, as you all know, one of my favorite authors, George Saunders. Um, so this is a new short story collection, which I picked. It had been a long time since we'd done those. And I haven't started it yet, but I'm very excited. So I'll just read the insert here. Um, love. So it kind of references some of the stories in here. So Love Letter is a tender missive from grandfather to grandson in the midst of a dystopian political situation in the not-too-distant, all-too-believable future that reminds us of our obligations to our ideals, ourselves, and one another, Ghoul is set in a hell-themed section of an underground amusement park in Colorado. Um, Mother's Day, two women who loved the same man come to an existential reckoning in the middle of a hailstorm, et cetera, et cetera. So it's just um, full of, I think there are nine stories in the collection. Um, and they're just kind of, if, if you haven't read Saunders before, um, his short stories can be really out there and um, really wacky. Um, if you watched, for example, a, one of his short stories was turned into a movie that's on Netflix. It's called Into the Spiderhead. That's kind of what I mean by that. Um, his stories are very funny, um, very emotional, I find, as well. And um, they can be a little challenging sometimes as a reader because um, he deals a lot with empathy. So some of his characters are kind of are out there. Um but I'm really excited to read this new collection. I haven't read any of these stories, which I'm sure at least a couple of them had been published in um, other publications before in the, they were put together in this collection. So I'm, I'm looking forward to this read. Yeah, I'm excited too. I actually read that the um, like audiobook version is really good too. There's different people reading different stories. And the only one I remembered offhand is Tina Fey reads one of the stories and apparently it's really well done so I'm gonna read it but then I also kind of want to listen to it yeah yeah I you know his audiobooks always end up being pretty cool um Lincoln and the Bardo which is his only novel is a very I mean calling it a novel is kind of weird um it's a very strange book but that book has like 133 different like voices and so when you listen to the audiobook it really gives it like this whole new life and he always gets great actors to do it like Nick Offerman did the audio was one of the main characters in the the Lincoln and the Bardo so I imagine his short story collection is probably a pretty good audio 
yeah. collection. Good, good actors. Yeah, I'm excited to read it. So that is our next one. Should have no problem finding a copy. Mm-hmm. Um, so go pick up a copy from your local bookstore. I picked mine up at the King's English today. They actually had some signed copies too. So that's always fun. Oh, cool. Um, I got my copy yeah, when which ex- um, Audra and I were together. Uh, we went to, um, we talked about it last episode a lot, which bookstores we went to. But um, I got my copy at the Concord bookstore. and um, Yeah, and I'm kind of bummed. Yeah. I was bummed I didn't do it. I just like bought enough and I was like, oh, I'm going to pass on this one for now. But then I was bummed when we decided to do it. And especially because oh. they had signed copies at that bookstore. Yeah. So I was really happy when I got to the King's English today and they did as well. I feel so like you can always count better. on the King's English to like come through for yeah. you. And we're not sponsored by them, by you the way. Can. We wish we were. But like they're you can always <laughs> count on them. They're so great. Yeah, very true. Um, so, yeah, that will be our next one. And then I think I kind of already know what we're going to what I'm going to pick after. Oh yeah. We talked about it. So I'll, yeah. So I'll post that up once I know for sure. But, um, I think that's it. So what are you drinking? Sadie, what's your libation? You're going to be so proud of me. Um, I made my drink today. You made it. I made it. Oh wow. I am proud of you. I mean, it's a very easy drink. So, I mean, I think one could argue it's still the lazy route, but it is like a cocktail cocktail. I made myself an old fashioned and it's, Nice. Delicious. I love an old fashioned. How about yourself? What are you having? Good f- good for you. Um, so I basically did well, I don't know. I did some Empress Gin Ooh. and then I added to it this like pink grapefruit soda. Is that the and glass that you got r- from Mass Mocha? Yes, and I'm ha- drinking it out of a glass I got from Mass Mocha, this awesome modern art museum in Massachusetts, and it's a Berkshire's glass, and it has a very pretty scene on it with two bunnies and trees, and it says the Berkshire's, and it's got some blue flowers on it, and so it goes really well with the drink color, which is like it a does. pretty pink purple color. It's pre- Okay, I'm sorry. I inter- I did interrupt you as you were talking about what was in the drink. So it's Empress Gin. I'm sorry. And then what else? Oh, yeah. And then it's just like this pink grapefruit soda oh, that I had from when I made my grapefruit, like, Palomo drink nice. last time. Yeah, so it's pretty good. Easy. I didn't have a lot of time, but um, did the best I could. It looks amazing. Even just like the fact that you have that drink in that glass, feel like you it, went it, the mile well. you needed yeah, I to. Did, I did put I did put effort in. It yeah. wasn't as much as normal, but I did put effort in. Yeah. <laughs> um. Okay. Well, should we get get started? Yes. So where we left off, um. Well, chapter seven really kind of starts with, I think it's kind of with everybody starting to leave. It's like they've grown up. It's, you know, there's kind of three set places, I would say, that this novel is set in as far as India, England, and then America. Mm -hmm. And we've kind of ended our America, sorry, our India portion. Um, And it kind of goes through how that happens for our three main characters. Um, And... Some big things happen in this in this chapters, these yeah. set of chapters. Um, Ormus's dad dies. Uh, he moves to England with his mom and one of his brothers. Uh, I definitely want to talk about Rye. Kind of, he goes into his journey with photography and how he becomes such a well known. How he makes his mark in yeah. the photography world and art world in general. And um, Ormus is in a really bad car accident. 
I okay. I do love the scenes where he so he spends time working on a a ship uh, in England off the just off the coast there where they're broadcasting the radio because this is the point in time. What was that movie? Did you ever see that movie that was about that those ships that they had off the coast and they would that's where they broadcasted and they could play rock music because. No, they weren't playing that other way. What was that movie? Hold on. I'm going to look it up. What were some things that you liked from these chapters or some major kind of events that struck stuck out to you? Um, I liked the like I liked how when we ended last time, you know, it starts to be a little bit more explicit about this like alternate reality that um, Ormus is exposed to or experiencing. And I liked how this book started in these chapters to really go down a deep dive with that um and specifically so like you were saying um when Ormus is in England he gets in this really bad car accident and in that accident um he is in a coma for like three years or something it's like a long time and um Vina comes and she she says like one thing to him and it wakes him up and when he wakes up we discover that um, he has his his eye, his left eye, his, his like pupil is blown, and they think that he has lost sight out of that eye completely. But really, what he's seeing with that eye is that alternate reality that he was kind of like communicating to his his dead twin through. And he stops seeing his twin, really, and he's just kind of has this open access to this other world. And it's very confusing because with his right eye is where he is in, like, his current, like, physical reality. And um, I really liked that. And then I also liked during the – while he's in a coma, there's this woman um, named Maria who seems to be from that – other reality who has like mm-hmm. open access to him as long as Vina is not present and so she comes in sees him basically all the time and uh is a nymphomaniac and has sex with him uncon- while he's unconscious on a hospital bed like a lot and other people see her and like go crazy um so I liked how it really like leaned into that alternate reality here I thought those moments were really fun Um, I do just have to say that I stand by my statement last time of thinking that this is a very long-winded novel, and, um, I thought it was a little self-indulgent at times. I do like it, and I will say with no spoilers (laughs) before the next one, I do like where it goes, but here in the middle, um, there were definitely times that it lost me a little bit, um... But it, I do like it. So I don't want to sound mean. Like I do like it, but I did think it's it was okay. A little, it's okay. I did think it was a little self indulgent, and it was a little long, and long winded, and like. But there's so much brilliance in it that it makes it worth it. So that's that's where I stand with these middle chapters. But it, like, it's very good. It's still really good. Well, I mean, your your opinion's consistent. That's kind of where you've been the whole time. Like, yeah. there's there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, it, that's the great thing about all this is like different strokes, right? There's so many yeah. books out there, and this is one of my favorites. But it doesn't have to be anyone else's. And there, it is verbose, but I love every bit of it. And I guess my I I'm not discounting how you feel. I know. Like, that's totally fine. 
but I just, that's just not how it comes off to me. And that's, what's so cool about it though. Like, well, and I, I just, I look yeah. at it like there's just, it's so, I love all the language. So I think if it wasn't as good as it is, maybe I would feel that way too. Yeah. But I just, I love every little piece of it. It's just like, it's immersive for me. And I think the more details and the more the stories within the stories, within the stories yeah. is immersive for me because I think it's, it's just this great connection of kind of all art, like the, you know, the book focuses on kind of rock and roll specifically, but it, it goes through all kind of our different forms of art with photography and painting and music. And then all the pieces that go into that, like it's not even just the musicians or the artists, it's all the pieces and what inspires it. And I love all the stuff about the alternate universe, which, or the parallel world, which is really fun. Cause I remember the first time I read that, read this, it really snuck up on me. Mm-hmm. Like I all of a sudden was like, Oh, that's what's been going on. Like I didn't catch it for a while. Yeah. And then once I caught it, I loved it. And then the second time reading through this, even knowing that's there, it still kind of snuck up on me a little bit. Yeah. And was really, it's really fun because I like to have a very, like, I really enjoy kind of more magical realism for that reason, because it's so hard for me normally to get into that. Like I want things to make sense and be linear and have holes closed up and understand everything. So when I can read novels like this that are so good that it lets me feel good about not always quite knowing what's going on, like not having that element of control is hard for me to do. So when a novel does it, I love it because it's great to be immersed in that, like for me personally. So I think that's part of why I like it so much. And I think the more verbose it is, it's easier for me to get sucked into that world. I think it's like I think one of the reasons why that aspect of it didn't work for me is because I really didn't like this narrator. Um, mm, and I that's interesting. And talk, I talk more about that. I think he's like voyeuristic, and I think he is self indulgent, and I think that. I, th- I think that in a way this, like you said, like the writing in this book is very good and it, and it is, I mean, I think it's very difficult to match Salman Rushdie when it comes to prose and like how he writes, it's very good. But I felt like this book kind of like lacked restraint. And I think that, um, his characters in the same way lack restraint specifically right the the narrator I I I did think he was voyeuristic and I thought he was his like obsession um there there were some things about the like the way things that he said that really like icked me out like like specifically there's there were a couple moments and I hope that it's within these like these chapters that I'm thinking about this, but there's a moment when he has sex with um, Vina and he talks about, um, he starts talking about like birth control and he talks about, oh, like this was a time when women were just using abortion as birth control, like as like a second form of birth control. And I thought that was really like a, like an inaccuracy and also, I, I thought it was kind of like a heartless way of viewing that because Vina has had four abortions 
And um, in this book, it's no secret that she's like promiscuous and everything. She enjoys her time. But he talks about how um, she's had four abortions and she finds out in the last one that she's basically barren and infertile. And I just thought he was really cold and like callous in the way that he talked about that. Um, and and talking about abortion as supplementary birth control. Like I, I just really, that part really turned me off to him. And then I also like, I kind of felt this way a little bit at the beginning when he was talking about taking photos of the earthquakes and how I felt like it was kind of cold. And, um, and I think he's self-aware of it, but I still didn't like it. And, and you see that here too, when he talks about his photography and how he, he like photographs his mother when she's dead. And there's nothing like necessarily wrong with that specifically, but then he continues to like make it part of his like artistic journey and his, he, him photographing exits is what he calls. And so he he just goes to funerals uninvited and takes pictures of the morn, morning and, and the dead people. And like, I thought that was voyeuristic and kind of um, it, very intrusive. And he talks about how he thinks that he's paying them respect. And in his brain, he's paying them respect by giving them attention. But I also thought that that was... That really, really like pushed me the wrong way. I did not like that. And then there were there was this other moment, which I think is in this section, where he talks about filming. I don't know, like he talks about filming um, at a fashion house or something. And mm-hmm. he, I don't. Oh, when he's talking I, about the models, the models, and I hated that. I I don't know if it's just like that specific those specific descriptions that I really like just thought was weird but he talks about them I really hope it's in this section but he says that um he calls it like a pussy castle or something like he calls it he says he's gonna go and he he like literally calls it like pussy palace or something like that like and I thought that was so weird like I just didn't I yeah I thought he was a little like maybe as an artist in his own way, like I thought he was kind of obsessive, but also very like intrusive. And I think that one could say that he's kind of like that with Vina, like his obsession, I think with Vina is a little like much for me. And um, I don't know, I really just didn't like him. <laughs> but I, uh, well, I don't know. Like, and I, I think that's I part think that's of why it's hard I can... for me. Yeah. I, that's interesting. I mean, I, 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 what you're saying makes sense. Like we, I think there's some definitely things about Rye that aren't likable. Just like for me, there's a lot of things about Vina that are not likable and Ormus and kind of all the characters. Yeah. But, and I, I'm not saying, but it's like 500 that. pages of being in his head, I think made it difficult for me. Like, because I can exist in a space of someone I don't like for a while, but 500 pages is a big ask um, if I really, really dislike them. And, like, there was, obviously, I like, there's a lot of stuff, again, that I really did love about this book, but I think that maybe, like, I didn't necessarily want to be immersed in his space. Does that make sense? Yeah, I get that. I mean, I guess I didn't mind it. Like, I yeah. liked hearing what he had to say like even just kind of that first part you were talking about of how he would 
photograph funerals and how he looked, you know, thought that it was paying, it was respect because it was attention. Like I really, that was one of the parts I underlined. Like I really liked Mm. what he had to say. He says the camera's respect has nothing to do with seriousness, sanctimony, privacy, or even taste. It has to do with attention. It has to do with clarity of the actual, of the imagined. And there's also the issue of honesty, a virtue which everyone routinely extols and recommends until it is directed and all its uncushioned force at themselves. Honesty is not the best policy in life, only perhaps in art. And I really liked that because I kind of took it as a, of a way of him really kind of shouting from the rooftops his own self-awareness of his own, like dishonesty and I mean if you think about it like he's not really ever honest with Vina or himself or Ormus because they're all kind of in this weird love triangle yeah and he's not he kind of lives with his parents who he kind of notices their dishonesty with themselves and with each other and with him and like I think he's just really focused on what is truth and what is lie which I think is interesting in this book because the reality of that the book is in where there's these alternate realities that in and of itself makes you question like, well, what is even the truth? And like, is everything mutable and gray? And so I feel like he, that's what I get out of a lot of what he says is he's not necessarily the best guy, but what he has to say is valid. And it's like, he's pointing it at himself, which makes sense then that he does and says stuff that are like, kind of icky or gross or dishonest. Um, and, and I think he's kind of points that out in the talking of celebrity and music and art and like what's real about it and what's not and what, you know what I mean? Just kind of this constant question of what is the truth? Yeah. And I feel like he, that's kind of how he's approaching all of his photography and I think he points out like he understands that this may not look good but it's important to try and like capture what is actually happening like what is the truth and trying to figure it out that way which I think that's like that's like all we're mostly trying to do so I I didn't mind him I I liked hearing what he had to say even if it wasn't something I agreed with but I see why you feel the way you feel about it like I don't think you're I guess I I think some of his like self-awareness though like came off to me a little bit as like excuses like I think that Mm, um like I think the way he talked about his photography and and like how he makes his mark using another man's film and work Mm -hmm. I you know I did think that was an interesting part of the story yeah and when he like really doesn't share that with anybody and um like I think that but but he gives you excuses, you know. He's like, oh, I'm so ashamed, I'm so ashamed. But to be fair, you know, they just gave me the credit and I just didn't correct them. Like, that to me is, like, just an excuse. And I think also, you know, like him saying, oh, I'm just trying to tell the truth, I'm just trying to tell the truth. Like, I think that that's valid and, like, art should tell the truth, but at the same time... Like, I think that, um, you know, it's still good to have taste and to, like, respect boundaries. And, like, so I think that, and I and I don't feel like he necessarily does respect those boundaries sometimes. 
I I agree. I just think it's because the point is is that the boundaries are not necessarily boundaries. Like what you think is a line in the sand isn't. Like it mutates just as like what yeah. is the reality in this world mute. So like that's so it's just interesting how you can take it different ways. And you know, I was trying to think about so a little off topic, but I really I read this book the first time so long ago. I was in high school and I was picking it up the other day and I, there's a phone number. Look, there's like a <gasps> phone number written on it. It's oh an God. 801 phone number. And I don't know what this phone number is. That's so At cute. least I think that's when I read this last it was high school. I don't remember. It was either high school or like first year of college, but it was just so funny. And I'm like, I wonder what that phone number well, is. Well, it's an for. 801 I number. Really I bet it was high school. I bet it was too. So yeah, but, but the whole point of that was it made me think about how did I think about this book? What, what did I like about it so much mm. when I first read it? Cause I, I must've been between 16 and 18 and I'm much older now. And mm-hmm. so I know that all of that life experience has really affected how I feel about this novel. And I, the only thing I could really remember feeling, cause I remember when I started this book kind of having those connections again, but I remember being really fascinated with like the, uh, the like retelling of this, you know, Greek myth. Yeah. Because I hadn't read too much. I read a lot of Greek myths, but not like the retellings or in such in this format that's so well done. Uh, and so that had a big effect on me. And then I think being more like just looking differently at how these three characters were and like their relationships and how they mm-hmm. approach each other. And I remember having a much more kind of just naive view of love when I read this the first time and this time being able to not be as bothered. I think I was not bothered, but didn't, I was like, how is this a love story? Like they're just shitty to each other (laughs) basically. Yeah. But seeing now the differences in that. And so I think it's, it's just interesting with this book as in almost every other, just like when you read it and what's going on in your life at the time or where you're at in your life and what you've experienced and all those things, how it really has this effect on how you feel about the book. It yeah. was a good reminder of that. Yeah. I think the the retelling is interesting because this book, really, we get the um, the myth twice mm-hmm. in this book. It yeah. happens twice. And so we get really the first one here. And th- th- it's with um, Ormus kind of being more of the Eurydice type and him, like, basically being half dead, you know, dead you know kind of in like the underworld so to speak and Vina having like the voice that carries him out and it's kind of it's successful in in a way that the myth isn't really successful that she's able to pull him out but their relationship is not immediately successful as we see um she as committed as she is to him like emotionally and everything she can't physically be um give him you know, perfect fidelity. And, and he kind of can't, he's, it's not like he's interesting. Ormus is interesting because he's not like mean about it. Do you know what I mean? But he, he just wants her in in the way that he needs her, which he, he wants to marry her. And she kind of like rolls her eyes and gives him jokes basically every time he asks until the end and she and then she kind of cheekily tells him oh I'll marry you in like 10 years and then he's like okay and um 
yeah, so it, at the very end of chapter 12 is when this happens. Um, he, she says, 10 years um, is never, never land. You turn right at a star and go straight till morning. No rules apply. Besides, behind her back, rabbits, rabbits, she's crossing her treacherous fingers. 10 years from today, from right now, and then this is kind of in her head. Um, he's being serious. Jesus, never mind. He'll get over it. It'll be fine. Sure, Ormy. Ten years. The clock's running. Three, two, one, go. And then he tells her, her his side of the bargain. And his bargain is basically that he's not, that they're not going to have a relationship other than a business relationship until that ten years is up. Um, and he, she kind of continues to have as many lovers as she wants, including... Um, Rye, who she never discloses to Ormus, even though she's pretty open about her other affairs and and lovers. And um, Ormus, on the other hand, like remains obstinate. And he kind of like at the in the last section that we talked about mostly f- from the last episode, he, you know, he says that like as soon as he met her and saw her, he didn't have eyes for anybody else. And he kind of he sticks to it. like. <laughs> You know, but but I also question yeah. like, you know, his um Ormus's abstinence is also really interesting because he's being like haunted by a nymphomaniac from another dimension. So like <laughs> like Well, and like you said about the retelling, there's also kind of a retelling of it with Ormus's and Maria. It's like she's yeah. trying to pull him back and he's but he's trying yeah, ex- and it is interesting. I think I think how like the sexual relationships in the novel, I think are really interesting. And, and in this, these sections of the chapters, especially, and kind of this idea of, I think the honesty seeps into it there too. Like what is an honest sexual relationship and mm-hmm. what does that look like and how different people are treated differently with it? You know, how Vina is treated, how she looks at sex versus how Ormus does versus how Rye does. And then also, you know, just the periphery characters and their relationships, everyone from, what was her name? Petra. Um, and she was in the kind of the first section, but there's all these mm-hmm. other people that, and how they look at sex. And I thought that was kind of an interesting subset of these, of these chapters, like the, just Rye and Vina and their sexual relationship, and then contrasting it with Vina and Ormus. And well, and I, I, I mean, and this I is think probably, s- one, sorry, go ahead. I, I, well, I think like sex just, continues to grow in importance in this novel and like Mm -hmm. I think it I mean I felt like sex was on like every page in the last section which we'll talk about next next episode but um yeah like the the different views of sex and then thinking about the time that it is 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 definitely interesting and it's um not as you would necessarily expect I really like Vina um with all of her like promiscuity, she really isn't anybody other than who she says she is. I think the only time that mm-hmm. she's really deceptive is when she, you know, she withholds her relationship with um, Rye from Ormus because of their close relationship as well. Um, but it is interesting to see how it it played out. I I don't necessarily always. I didn't always necessarily like it. Um, it was a little bit much, not like, I don't know. I, I'll, I have more thoughts about it for the next, for the next episode, but, um, it is interesting to see how it plays out amongst these characters and how they all kind of like treat each other in regards to their, 
kind of sexual preferences and stuff like that. Yeah, I think this, and I, I don't know, the this book is one of the few that I've read where there's been kind of a, a love triangle, so to speak, that I've really bought it. Like, I've really felt like they all do love each other. Mm. Like, it's not just Ormus that loves Vina and Rye that loves Vina and Vina loves both of them. It's like, I think they, I think even though Rye and Ormus's relationship is probably more, it's probably the least like discussed. I mean, it's still discussed, but there's yeah. probably the least amount of like dialogue and interaction. There's more towards the end, uh, last part of the book, but yeah, I think that they really do. And I, and I, but I just think it shows just how hard it can be and how there's just such this fine line. There's these alternate realities, right. Of this love that's amazing and overpowering and magical and great. And then the other side of it is it can just be awful and deadly and obsessive. And it's like, just the duality of love as long as, as well as all the other aspects that they're talking about, like that I think the parallel universe kind of represents too, just this duality yeah. of it. Yeah. Um, because I do think they all really love each other and they all really love their, like their shared love of India and music and each other. And like, I don't know. I just think it's the most believable for me as far as, or it's one of the more believable books for me when it comes to like not only this love triangle and love, but just how the sexuality is looked at and talked about and discussed and like what an impact it plays, but it's not the only thing. Like I didn't find any of it gratuitous. I wouldn't say it's like gratuitous and it's like descriptions or explanations. Um, though I do think that sex is at the forefront of Rai's mind, like all the time. And, um, I think that, like, it's interesting that you said, like, you really, like, I had question marks about his love for Vina. Um, who, Rice? Yes, because I felt like it mm -hmm. was, there were a lot of times, anyway, that I felt that he, it was very very sex driven which is fine but I also felt like a lot of it was about the fact that like he couldn't have her and there was like a lot of jealousy there and um, competition but I also felt like there were times when she was speaking and he kind of brushed off the like the actual stuff that she was talking about. Like there were times when he, oh, yeah. like I he think would, he dismisses her a he, lot. He dismisses Same her. Same with Ormus. I think they both dismiss the time. her a lot. Like she, you know, they, t mm -hmm. Oh, she's just on a tirade. She's just like, she just, once she gets started, she'll, she won't stop. And he kind of like digs at her for having this affair with him in the first place, like while they're in bed together. And then she'll be mad or hurt or upset because she, this is like the one affair that she's having that she knows would really hurt Ormus, who she very much loves. And like, he just dismisses her anger a lot. And so a part of it felt like his love for her wasn't based on her and her like thoughts and her feelings. And I felt like he almost used, turned her into a symbol or a figure in the same way that the public did. And I didn't feel much of an actual connection between them other than I felt like she had 
a connection with him. And I, I felt like he was very dismissive of her. And, um, again, like some of his descriptions of her, especially in like where it really started to bug me was the latter half of the novel. Um, so we'll talk about it more next episode, but I felt like he, I, I felt like he objectified her as much as anybody in the public did. Um, yeah, I mean, I totally understand what, where you're coming from with that. I think I just, none of that really turned me off in the novel and I took a lot mm-hmm. of it as more intentional of how they did view her and how they dismissed her, how they loved her, how she's like kind of worshipped and put on this pedestal but also quick to be torn from it, yeah. from everyone in her life. And I think that I I just took it as more of, a, a commentary on what that is for women, for celebrity, for historical figures, for artists, like just in general. And I, and I think it gets reflected inward with the characters as much as it does outward to other characters. So it, it enhanced it for me, mm-hmm. not detracted it versus I felt like it was more of a detraction from you, which yeah, like I we've think... been talking about most of this episode. I think we've disagreed more this episode than we ever did in the first one. Yeah, I think you're right about that. Um, <laughs> I know. I feel like I've been very like contrary in this episode, but um, no, no. I do feel like it was like a missed opportunity with her, though. And and like my big question with it is, um, you know, I I felt like she wasn't fully realized really as like a person, and I felt like there was more to her. And while like one interpretation could be that that was on purpose to like analyze the way men talk about women, you know, or think about the women in their lives. Like I had big question marks about how aware these characters really were of that. And I didn't really like that they always viewed her through like their own lens. And um, mm-hmm. I also like, I I don't know if like, Salman Rushdie really is looking at it that way like I think like the hope is that that is what he meant to do but I don't have full confidence that that is what he meant to do I guess I do because I feel like that's really the role of her character like not just with Ormus and Rye but even like her mother um, the music executives the fans like every character that she comes in contact with for the most part looks at her that way it's like she is a vessel for them in one sense of of kind of their own Mm. interests so I feel like that's not because that is who she is or or that's the point of her I think it's more pointing out about the other characters that way and I think that the point of that is because Mm. of how we do that to women in particular and then to you know what she represents like we look for things about ourselves through other people. And I think we definitely do that a lot with women. Yeah, I guess I just like, I don't, I don't know how best to explain it. I'm just not confident that that's what he meant to do because I feel like I've seen this kind of not, not in this exact way maybe, but like I've seen like female characters written and, and shown like this in film and in movies and books and stuff and in media. And I think that, um, are you talking about the kind of manic pixie yeah, dream girl? Like kind that's of thing? what it yeah, felt like, like. She's like almost, she's like almost an original manic pixie dream girl. Like, yes. Yeah. And like, yeah. and then like, she okay. really just like exists 
for other people and like not for herself. And I think that, um, and I was disappointed by that, I guess, because I, I guess maybe part of it too is something to think about is that this was written in like 1999, 1998, something like that. And so maybe this is like a new, like a newer, like subversive way of writing about a woman at that time. But like at this point, especially in the early 2000s and into like the 2010s, you see a lot more female characters like this that are like they're Mm -hmm. they're supposed to be like these like unique, like wild individuals. But ultimately, like their whole storyline is still centered around like men and um so I think maybe I've just like felt like I've seen a woman be described that way so many times in the specific like media and art that I consume that I wasn't open to it in this instance. Like it just I think I was tired of it already, but I also mm-hmm. do have to think about it in the way that like that wasn't necessarily super common or being done in that way at the time that this was written as like for credit to the author like as like this being like a more like original version of that you know and it and and don't get me wrong I don't feel like she's like Manic Pixie Dream Girls always usually seem to me to be like a teenage fantasy Mm -hmm. in a way and that's not how this novel comes off at all um it's very adult in like theme and and like the characters and the way that they think and view the world but um yeah I don't, I don't know I just I think that maybe I'm just kind of like tired of that kind of character period yeah I can see that I can see that I mean I definitely understand that of uh, the aversion to that I felt that way about what was that movie did you ever see that movie 500 days of summer with Joseph yes. Gordon-Levitt and so like couldn't stand Mm -hmm. that movie to be honest Mm because the same thing and there's a couple others I can't think of them offhand but and I don't enjoy that either I guess I and I again like with most of this I see where you're coming from it just didn't strike me that way yeah so which is just interesting well I think that's um you know I I feel like my discussion about the book has has been kind of negative but at the same time um like I think that it's only negative in the in the fact that like it irks me or that it like got a reaction out of me like you know Mm -hmm. like there were a lot of times that I almost had like a physical reaction to what I was reading and I was like oh my god like these fucking guys like that's that was kind of my reaction a few times um but it's like extremely well written it is a very interesting story um even if I find it too lengthy and the themes and stuff that upset me like are still valuable and like very good things to be thinking about so even if you like the fact that we had different takes doesn't mean that it's like a bad book you know like I I could be like angry and annoyed with this book all I want and it can still be a good book it just like got a reaction out of me which is a talent and a a skill in and of itself is to like make a reader have any type of reaction (laughs) other than boredom is a skill so um no this is definitely not a boring book no like as as verbose as it is as intense and detailed and lengthy it is not boring I agree I I do not think it is something that you have to slog through. I know you had kind of brought up how there were parts that was like hard for you to read because you didn't necessarily enjoy 
parts yeah. of it, but it wasn't, I think you could would probably agree. It wasn't difficult to read in the sense of like, Oh, I can't like, I can't get through this. I'm going to fall no. asleep or this is so boring. It's, it's a really, so if you haven't, hopefully the podcast have inspired you to get reading on it. Cause I really yeah. think it's worth it. Um, and we'll go more into the last half of the book, which I think really gets for me, gets really interesting. So, yeah. um, we'll talk about that more in our next episode. So we'll be wrapping up the book for our next one. Um, Sweet. Sadie, will you tell everybody again what our next yes. discussion will be on after this uh, next episode on The Ground Beneath Her Feet by Salman Rushdie? Yes. So our next book is going to be Liberation Day by George Saunders. It is his new short story collection. Um, and I, I just I'm really excited for this one. I really love George Saunders. I think it'll be an exciting read. And we haven't done a short story collection for a while. And these will be, I think, very different than the last uh, collection that we did. So go pick up your copy of that now. Um, I think it'll be interesting to talk about. Yes. All right. Well, we will talk to you guys next time. Bye. Thanks.